and welcome to the Creative Discourse Podcast. Creative Discourse, rediscovering the lost art and forgotten science of persuasion by thinking and acting creatively. And quick little word of explanation. I've had a couple people ask me how I decided on the name Creative Discourse for this podcast and the newsletter. And the answer is simple. It's a play off of that term, creative destruction. Because one of the things that fascinates me, especially in the creative space, is how things change over time. And some of the old models that we use die and we have to adopt new models. And one area in our daily life that we're seeing this big time is when it comes to news. Uh, the way that we consume news and by extension, the news that we consume has changed dramatically over the last 20, 30 years or so. And to talk a little bit about that, I figured maybe I should get somebody that's been in news for a while. So bringing on John Ralston. He is the CEO of the Nevada Independent, which if you don't know what that is, um, I'm disappointed in you, A, because you've got to find them. They're a great organization in Nevada. And I do write for them on a weekly basis. So you got to check that out as well. But um, it's a nonprofit news organization. And it's kind of one of, of a few throughout the country that's trying to do something a little bit new. So John, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's a real pleasure. Now, you have been covering politics in Nevada for 30 years, so you've been in the industry for quite a while, not trying to make you sound old or anything, but you've been around. The industry has clearly changed a lot. I mean, I've even noticed in the time that I've been writing professionally for the last 12, 15 years, things have changed dramatically with the news industry. And now you're doing this nonprofit thing, which is relatively relatively new. I mean, there are a few organizations, like I said, a couple out in California that I follow, one in Texas. What what attracted you to the idea of doing a nonprofit news organization that's state-specific? Well, it, it came after the uh, uh, unfortunate or maybe fortunate demise of the last TV show that I hosted. Uh, and I thought about what I wanted to do for the rest of my career. And I had always kind of wanted to start my own news organization, maybe mentor some young journalists. And you can only mentor young journalists, by the way, if you're old. So I don't I don't mind that reference at, at all. And so I thought about how I wanted to do it. And I was a fan of the Texas Tribune, which is uh, the, the largest and most successful. It's had some problems lately, which maybe we can talk about because I'm hoping they're not the canary in the coal mine for this uh, model not working. I don't think they are, but it's given a lot of people pause. And so I talked to Evan Smith, who was the head of that, and he was uh, had been very uh, nice to me um, on Twitter and elsewhere. And he said, you, you are perfectly positioned to set up a model like this in your state because you're more well-known than I was in Texas, and you will draw automatic audience and donors. And this is the model... Uh, for the future. And I thought about it. And it was already, this was, it's not why I did it, Michael, but it was shortly after Sheldon Adelson had purchased the review journal. And now you have this situation where I think the for-profit model doesn't work unless you have a billionaire who owns you who can hemorrhage money because ad revenue is way down and, and, and you see what's going on across the country. And so I just decided to, to, to make this a nonprofit. I liked the branding. I liked the, you know, uh, we are something different. We're going to be uh, transparent and in-depth and uh, policy uh, focused and nonprofit made sense to me. And so uh, I, I didn't know as much about the model back then as I do now. Uh, and you learn lessons in anything that you try, right? Some things have worked, some 
uh, haven't, but I, I, I still believe this is the model to sustain journalism, uh, if there is one, and I worry about that as well. Yeah, and you know, I want to talk a little bit about that, but first, you know, mentioning uh, Adelson buying the Las Vegas Review Journal. This is, yeah, you know, that's actually a good point, regardless of how you feel about Adelson, because you've got subscription-based newspapers that are still clinging to basically the same old business model that they had in the 1990s and 1980s, and yeah, you know, Matt Drudge changed things, let alone the you know following twenty years of internet and free information, both good and bad information available online to folks. You know, I know when I'm writing something for a publication, if I have to link to something that's got a paywall, I don't link to it. I find a different source. So they don't have the kind of eyeballs that they need in order to get the revenue for from ads. And there's a big question mark about how many subscriptions can people really, really buy, especially for a local newspaper that's, say, in Las Vegas or Reno or even just a state. Um, do you you mentioned that you think the nonprofit is kind of a business model for the future. But as you point out, some are having trouble. I mean, like any nonprofit, if you, you know, if you go through some sort of a period of time where people are worried about money and they don't want to make those big uh, philanthropic donations, you know, what do you do? I, I worry about that on for any nonprofit, let alone something as important as news. Uh, you know, what what are some of the things that kind of scaring you as you're seeing some of these nonprofit news organizations elsewhere starting to struggle a little bit? Well, obviously, uh, I, I am concerned about it, especially, as I mentioned, the Texas Tribune just cut 10% of their staff, and they were kind of the, you know, the lodestar of stability for all of us in this business. And to see them do that, they they, they had budgeted for a million dollars more than they actually brought in, and, and, and they made some very, what I'm sure, very painful cuts, and, and I'm not sure that they handled it as transparently as they should have, and I think we need to do that. But I, I, I'm worried, uh, as I have been for a long time, about the general um, uh, retreat from uh, uh, a, a civil and civic society and how that affects what people trust and don't and don't trust and the general distrust of the media that is both um, enabled by uh, bad actors in the media and fueled by uh, opportunistic politicians. Uh, we have tried to rise above it, but you know, you're know you always going to get criticized. And, and the problem is, especially in Nevada, where uh, there's a very narrow major fundraising base, there's essentially only one industry. You have to go outside the state, look for grants. You have to get a lot of smaller donors to agree to give monthly donations. And we've been pretty successful. And I have a revenue team that I was able to hire because of a grant from a, a, a great a, a ongoing concern called the American Journalism Project, uh, which funds the revenue side. So I can think more about the journalism. Although, um, you know, I, I, I tell people and I'll tell you, that I hope there's a day when the first thing I do in the morning is not look at the bank account and then plug that number into a spreadsheet and see how, how many months of operating revenue uh, I have. It's difficult. And, you know, we've been, we've been around for six and a half plus years now. Um, we've quadrupled the size of the staff. And now I'm having to think about, we're not a startup anymore. Did we grow too fast? Um, we pay very well. We give very good benefits. 
Um, uh, are we using our resources wisely? Do I need to take a closer look at expenses? All the CEO-y things I never thought I would have to do uh, in, in, in my life. But I believe deeply in, in the cause, as I think you know. And I am so proud, as I say publicly, of the work that this staff does. And I feel responsible for them. And so I'll do anything I can to make sure we keep going. But it is it you know we are not sustainable. It is, it is a struggle, um, and uh, I think it will continue to be. If there's an economic downturn, you know, COVID almost killed us uh, because of what happened. And I, when I say almost killed us, I'm being literal. We almost uh, went out went out of business. People don't know how close we came, and I had to make cuts. Luckily, I didn't uh, uh, lay off anybody. So. Uh, it's probably a longer answer than 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 you than you wanted, but I, I uh, the struggle is real, Michael. Well, you know anybody that's running a business uh, faces some of those same problems. What's interesting to me, and you mentioned it, the the bad actors in other parts of the media, um, and I think specifically of like cable news, for example, the incentives are not there to be actual news. Uh, it, it's turned into kind of reality TV. You've got the shouting match, uh, you know, the split screen, people yelling at each other and and all that. But the incentives there are generate eyeballs. I mean, get eyeballs on your on your channel. And you do that through the clicky, baity stuff that, that we see on social media. And of course, social media is its whole other problem because we're increasingly living in a world right now where people only believe the information that comports with their worldview. And that, to me, is a very scary thing for news, regardless of whether you're for-profit, non-profit, whatever. That's a scary thing because you don't... It, it, people are now living in different realities. They, they can't even agree on basic facts. Um, I'm hoping that the non-profit news model kind of helps in realign those incentives and say, look, we are not here to please our our advertisers. We are here to actually get news and hopefully our good news, you know, the good news programs that we have will generate some donations to us. Uh, have you noticed that? Hey, just looking at the broader picture of news, where do you think we're headed? Because I know that cable news, you know, Fox and MSNBC are not going to become nonprofit. Uh, you know, where where are we headed here when it comes to especially national news? Well, the biggest problem, and I've been watching it for years and talking about it, and it's just getting worse and worse, is what you referred to. It's what I call the validation culture where, where people only want to hear uh, what comports with, uh, as you say, their own worldview, their confirmation bias, and all the rest of it. Um, I think there are some good things on cable news. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I've been a contributor to MSNBC for a long time, but I think there are. But again, uh, they are for-profit enterprises, and they are going to they are going to do what they think is going to draw eyeballs, and that often has to do with conflict. And so MSNBC hosts will go after Trump. They honestly believe Trump is, is is bad for the country, but they can do it in a way that will draw eyeballs. And I think Fox is a different animal. And I don't really want to get in, into that. It's been exposed in uh, various lawsuits, what the, what, the, what they're really all about. But that's that's not good for the discourse. None of it is. And CNN going through all the convulsions it has been going through over the last few years, it's 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 the same problem. And so when I started the Indy, it was with this kind of ethereal um, uh, Pollyanna view that there are a lot of people out there who feel 
the way that you and I do. We're sick of the noise, the, the, the sick, sick of the back and forth, the yelling at each other that want to try to understand. People want to try to understand a very chaotic and complex and almost impenetrable world around them. And so let's give them a place where they can do that. They can read longer stories. They can they can read a very diverse op-ed page uh, with the likes of a, 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 a conservative a guy like you, and we have John L. Smith, who was kind of on the other end of the spectrum, and David Colborn, who's a libertarian, and is kind of different perspective than almost anyone I've ever met, and his columns are consistently entertaining. And then we have a lot of different opinions there, but, but our reporters try to do the best job they can. Sure, we fall short sometimes. This is, you know, it's, 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 it's the nature of being human, but to have that goal, to be transparent, to say, look at our donors, click on that link, and you can see every single one of our thousands of donors from the ones that have given seven figures to the ones who have given $5 and say, draw what conclusions you will and tell us if we're doing something wrong. And I try to engage with people who will email me uh, and, and say, I was reading you, but now I realize that you're just like the rest of them. And I will say, give me some examples and I will go back and forth with some of the more reasonable ones. I admit they're in the minority, but I think you got to, in our business, you got to be willing to take that uh, 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 kind of criticism and not be super defensive about it. And I try, I try not to be because um, I understand why people are the way that they are. You know, most people are not crazy like you and me and follow this stuff 24 seven. And, uh, the, the, you know, they, they, they have real lives. And so uh, we should try to help them navigate this complex uh, world. And I think, I think we do a pretty good job of that compared to most outlets. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the work that the Indy does and I'm not saying that just because I write there. Um, you know, the, you guys are very lucky that you have some exceptional reporters out there. I mean, some of the best reporters in Nevada, but even beyond Nevada, I, I used to work with the news industry in Colorado and the folks, the caliber of the folks that you guys have are are definitely rare in the industry right now. So I appreciate that. And that's why I say I'm proud of them all, uh, all the time. And they're very young, but they bought into the culture They're They have great work ethic they're, they're They they understand what we're trying to do. And we're, we're always shifting too, by the way. Um, do we spend too much time on this story? Should we have done a different kind of story rather than this story? What do we miss in this story? And so, and they, they engage, they're willing to take criticism. They're willing, they're very self-critical. I think almost any good journalist is self-critical and wonders, oh, how could I have missed that angle or that, uh, how could I have forgotten to put that fact in? And so uh, that, that, that's a constant churn inside the indie, which is, which is healthy. And, and, and everyone buys into that. And instead of just saying, you know, what the impression of many people has been of journalists for a long time, which is we talk down to them. We don't care what they think. We're incredibly arrogant, all of which has, you know, some truth to it. Um, uh, but uh, we, we, we try to project and actually live out the, 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 the reality of wanting to engage and being willing to absorb criticism. In fact, I have talked to my staff about doing uh, more and more town halls where we let people just come and give us a hard time or give us story tips or tell us how great we are, whatever, whatever it may be. Just show and go into communities that generally aren't covered too well, too, and do that. And and, and I, I think you, you have to 
constantly be changing your perspective to get people engaged, even if it's frustrating uh, that they're not engaged and you think it's nuts that they're not engaged. Well, and that's that's going back to the incentives that are at play with the with the industry at large. You know, the folks that just casually consume the news, as, as I would put it, you know, you, they might not obsess over news on Twitter or something. They just or X or whatever it's called nowadays, the social media platform previously known as Twitter. And it, there's there's that group, but they're not going to be the ones that generally engage with reporters. And then you've got the kind of fanatics, the people that are looking for validation for their views. They're the ones that if you disagree with them or you write something that they don't want to hear, that's because you must be insanely biased or what have you. And um, and it's a little bit worrisome when you look at kind of the broader picture and news, because it certainly is or certainly seems like uh, some of what's going on on cable news, social media, a lot of uh, kind of clickbaity news sites, which does not obviously cover the indie, but it looks like it's poisoning political discourse and civil discourse here in this country. But I think it's kind of a chicken and egg problem, which came first, you know, which is our partisanship and our polarization getting worse. And as a consequence, we're becoming less uh, trustworthy of the media, or is it the opposite? We became less trustworthy of the media and that is helping drive more, more partisanship. Yeah, it's, it's tough to tell. I mean, this whole notion of that discourse has become less civil is not how I would describe it, because if you go back in history, you can see during previous centuries the kinds of things that were said, uh, uh, even in presidential campaigns, were, were just absolutely vicious and 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 about people's personal lives and their and their mistresses and all kinds of other stuff uh that that you know would would make stormy daniels a pale in comparison right and, and so it's not so much that but i think the much bigger issue and you alluded to this earlier the problem with the discourse is that there's no there's no agreed upon set of facts uh, and 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 that's a slight exaggeration, but if people won't listen to, you know, if they believe Italian satellites fixed uh, the 2020 election, uh, it's going to be tough to get because how can I prove that they're wrong? Uh, I mean, uh, and so and, and if they're locked into that, mostly it's not just Trump, although he is the worst example. There are other politicians who exploit that. Uh, either willful ignorance or just just lack of attention, or as I said, uh, a, a, a retreat from 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 civic life uh, for their own cause. So um, uh, I, I just think uh, I, I just think it's a very difficult problem, and you're going to need not just one person, but a series of quote unquote leaders to step up and try to try to um, uh, ameliorate that. I, I, we're doing the best we can in the media field, but I mean more in the elected leaders. If they don't help, they have the biggest megaphones. It's going to be very, very difficult, Michael. Yeah, and I think it's it, it, definitely a cultural issue too, because I, I run across a lot of folks, and usually in my hate mail pile, uh, that have no interest in in actually engaging. They just want to rant. They just want to yell at you. They just, uh, you know, they and it's it's kind of a weird thing to to see. And I think things like social media have probably exacerbated it or, or maybe just made it more apparent. Uh, you know, pre-social media, I'm sure a lot of the same division existed. And I'm sure that, you know, people still would have difficult times, but social media makes it easier. I, I always use the example of the Flat Earth Society. Once upon a time, if you were a guy that was 
believe the world was flat. You were just the crazy person at the local bar. You had nobody to share that worldview with, but now you can go online, you can find a whole community and, and kind of evangelize it. Um, so, so I think that that is a lot of disruption. Obviously the nonprofit news, I think, especially locally driven nonprofit news is a huge promise to the industry because at least on a local level, which I happen to think is the most important, it can bring back right. a little bit of that objectivity. You know, we let the let the people scream at each other on cable news over presidential politics. I want to know what's happening at the state uh, capitol up in Carson City. Do you think that this kind of disruption that we're seeing right now, I mean, I think it extends far beyond the news as well. Obviously, we've got it in politics. I think to a certain extent, we've got it in culture. I also see, you know, things like Hollywood are they're struggling because of technological advances. There's currently a writer's strike because they're worried about how they're going to be making money on streaming services and what have you. Um, I often lament, uh, lament the lack of creativity coming from Hollywood nowadays. And I think part of that's due to some of the disruption. It's just easier to make a Marvel movie than it is to make the next Godfather or the next Kubrick film. Do you see any good movies coming out lately? I mean, tell me that I'm not, tell me that I'm being too pessimistic on Hollywood right now. Well, I'm, I'm, as you know, a, a huge movie buff and, and I love movies and uh, you know, most of them are, you know, uh, it's not just because I'm getting old of them. Maybe partly I, I forget them a few days later. Right. There, there are very few that really stick with me uh, these days. You know, Oppenheimer uh, was one which I was blown away by and and well, is still sticking with me. And I saw it weeks uh, ago, but there aren't that many like that. Sure, there are movies that I enjoy. I mean, I can watch, I, I can sit there on a night when I have some free time and, and go, go on one of the streaming services and find something like the silly movie that Jennifer Lawrence made about uh, about uh you know where she's hired by a family to get their kid to lose his virginity and i can enjoy that it's funny it's sweet and but i i can barely remember any of the scenes now that i'm talking to you about it and i saw it like three or four nights ago so uh, yeah i mean listen i i think you're right about the disruption extending beyond our business and you know uh you know look 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 how unoriginal hollywood becomes right Right. I mean, it has become and it's it's remakes. It's uh, you know, it's why TV in many ways and some of the series that are on TV, whether it's something like Breaking Bad or Ozark or Better Call Saul, these kinds of things have so much more creativity and dynamism. And, and there's there's so much more compelling. Right. Uh, and, and so it's afflicting that business as well. Yeah. And I th- I think. Kind of like we see nonprofit news, especially locally driven nonprofit news, starting to help the news industry uh, throughout the country. I see the same thing happening in Hollywood because you've got you've got these major studios out there. There, I I don't think major studios are going to keep living uh, for very much longer. I think we're kind of past the days of the Jack Nicholson type of uh, big movie stars, and we're going to increasingly be going to, you know, here's a little kind of indie project that showed up on Netflix and isn't absolutely amazing. I I think especially as technology in other areas is getting better, like AI and graphics and, you know, Adobe Premiere, you can do amazing things with. Uh, I've done some of that for clients. It's, It's increasingly kind of democratizing the art form. And so Hollywood should be kind of freaking out, but not necessarily because of streaming services. They should be freaking out because, as you point out, they aren't putting out original ideas. Um, so I think just as the little indie producers are probably going to save the 
save movies for me. So I keep on finding interesting things to watch. It's going to be the little local nonprofit news organizations throughout the country that are actually going to bring real news to people. And, hey, here are facts. Here's where we can start building some consensus. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, um, I, 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 I chuckle at when you use the word little because um, I don't even think of us as little anymore. And, and I sometimes long for the days when it was just, you know, six of us around the kitchen table in Carson City starting this thing up because, the problems just, uh, you know, they, they metastasize when, as you get bigger uh, in all kinds of different ways. Expectations get bigger. Personnel problems suddenly crop up where you didn't think they, they were going to. Sustainability becomes more difficult. You know, I, 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 as I said before, I'm so proud of where we are. We're the only statewide news organization. Uh, we have these tremendously talented uh, reporters, but um, uh all of these nonprofits have to do what we're doing, which is grow. And at some point, um, uh, if you don't, you're, you're just not going to have that kind of impact, right? And, and there's still tremendous news deserts all over the country, including in Nevada. Think about this. And this is a constant conversation I have, and I wish uh, I, I had a billionaire uh, helping me for this. Like, who's covering Henderson? or North Las Vegas, or even, even the city of Las Vegas and Clark County don't get the attention they deserve. And I'm not saying they're all cesspools, but I'm sure there are stories there that people need to know, right? And so uh, I, I think uh, I, I, that's very frustrating. And it is, I know it sounds melodramatic, but I really believe this. It is a threat to democracy that these news deserts exist, that governments are not being covered in the way that they should be covered by by uh, journalism organizations. And so it worries me. It worries me. We can't do it all. We can't afford to do it all. Uh, and and uh, it's really sad what's happened in the media here. The Gazette Journal has been gutted. The Sun barely exists uh, anymore with just a couple reporters. The RJ is not what it used to be in many different ways. They still have some uh, reporters there that I respect, but they don't have the numbers to do to cover some of the things that I just mentioned. And it's dangerous. It really is dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, I talk a lot about disruption, you know, in, in creative discourse. And sure, I, I harp on Hollywood a lot just because I'm interested in the changes that are happening there. But, you know, if Hollywood goes away tomorrow, it's like, oh, shucks, that's that's too bad. You know, if uh, all of a sudden actual news organizations start disappearing, as you point out, that's that's a real threat to democracy because you don't have that watchdog looking at government saying, what is government doing? You don't have some sort of agreed upon set of facts that reasonable people can point to and say, let's have a good conversation about what policy to move forward on. Uh, you you miss out on all of that. And if you think politics is bad now and things are tribal right now, just wait until even there's even less real quote unquote news out there. Um, that's that's a big you talk about geographical news deserts. I think that there's a really big intellectual news desert, uh, probably probably online. You can find it at Twitter. Um, it's I mean, there's just there's just a lot of lot of areas out there where people don't seem interested in it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's very distressing, but you but you're absolutely uh, right. And and uh, that's the way politicians, the ones who are in office, like it. Most of them, at least. Right. Uh, they don't want the pushback. Uh, they, they don't want the intellectual to and fro because they generally can't keep up uh, and or can't defend the positions that they've taken. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I talk a lot. I've talked a lot more lately inside the Indy about 
more what I call accountability journalism. And, uh, I, you know, my staff asked me, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, I, I say, I mean a lot of things, but, and, and it's, it's doing more investigative pieces. It's, 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 it's doing more data journalism, more investigative kinds of pieces, uh, but that's expensive, man. It and it takes time. And although we, we don't have the same kind of deadline pressure as a TV station or even the RJ or, or the Reno Gazette Journal, um, you, you got to have something new on the site every day. Uh, and I don't want it to just be something that's a placeholder, right? I want it to be something substantive that helps people. And we don't succeed every day, but I hope most days. Yeah. Yeah. And I do hope that there are more people out there who are interested in taking part in that kind of journalism, too, because that's that also I mentioned that your journalists are rare. They really are. A lot of the folks that are coming out of journalism school nowadays don't don't necessarily have that same mindset uh, or or the know how. I mean, they just don't have people in their lives who have been in the business trying to pass that down to them. So um, if people want to find out more or maybe even donate to the Nevada Indy or heck, just read my articles on there every Sunday uh, where, you know, obviously the Nevada independent.com, anybody can make a donation on the donation page there, right? That's right. And they should go and do that. And if they have any questions, they can email me to Ralston at the nvnd.com. I, I answer all of my emails, or at least I try to uh, uh, even the mean ones. <laughs> and for, those folks who are not in Nevada right now and you know, look around in your state. Uh, like I said, there's there's a couple out in California that I've been following that are doing great work. Uh, there's one out in Texas. There's I believe that there's a new one uh, coming up uh, in Colorado, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. You know, just look around and you'll start to find them here and there. It's uh, it's a great business model and it's one that separates them from the more traditional newspaper ones, I think in a really, really good way. It, it realigns those incentives for actual news. So John, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Michael, it was a really pl real pleasure and a great conversation. Thank you. Again, John Ralston with Nevada Independent. Seriously, check them out and seriously, read my articles. But um, this is the, the, the topic is something that fascinates me because it's not just news. I mean, I, I understand that we only briefly talked about Hollywood and Hollywood's obviously seeing its own disruption. But we really have to step back and we have to understand that so much of the chaos that's going on in the world right now is a consequence of all of this disruption going on culturally, politically, and even economically. Uh, what we see in the news and the way that our public discourse is, is seemingly so messed up, uh, this is a consequence of the business models changing. You know, the, the business model, when I started writing, uh, you, we were still in the era of Charles Krautheimer and and some of these big names in the intellectual, conservative, and libertarian and and progressive movements. Uh, Paul Krugman was actually taken seriously back then. You know, th there was this there was this time when you could pursue a living as a writer, and it, it was hard to get past the gatekeepers. It was hard to get your stuff actually published and get paid for writing. But when you got to that point. You kind of had it made. You, I mean, if you were a syndicated columnist, that was great. Everybody knew your name. Everybody was reading your stuff. Uh, you were you were the topic of conversation at kitchen tables, and that's no longer really the case because the entire industry was democratized. All of a sudden, anybody could become a writer by going online and starting their own blog, and that was great in one sense because all of a sudden 
anybody could write, anybody could have a voice on the internet. On the other side of things, it made it really tough as a writer because nobody wanted to pay you for your writing anymore. Uh, everybody, I remember it was about 10 years ago, I was looking desperate for a job and I was trying to get a writing job. And I kept on having all these people who were running newsletters and running newspapers saying, well, we can't pay you, but you'll get plenty of exposure. And I always used to respond, exposure is what you get when you spend too much time in the desert. It's not what you get from writing. But what we were going through at the time was a disruption in the industry. And I think we're actually still going through that disruption right now. Um, as a writer, I see, even on a yearly basis, the industry and the incentives seem to change pretty consistently. Um, organizations such as Substack, for example, which, yes, you should subscribe to my Substack, uh, they are part of that disruption. And I think they're a good part of that disruption because they're giving writers, anybody who wants to write, they're giving them agency over their own writing and their own future, which is fantastic. All of this to, is to say that there is massive disruption because we live in a world where things are more democratized than ever. Speech is more democratized. Uh, content creation, as, as we pointed out with Hollywood, it's easier than ever to grab a video camera and go make your own short film. Uh, it'd certainly help if you had some money, but uh, even, even with very limited budgets, people can do amazing things. And people can start new media organizations. And the nonprofit avenue seems to be one that realigns the incentives and the values of traditional in-depth journalism in a way that you really just don't get from a for-profit model that is completely dependent upon people and advertisers uh, operating in a business model that was really only successful in the early part of the 20th century and ever since then has been struggling to figure out how to remain relevant and how to remain profitable. So I guess really the takeaway here is everything changes. And as it changes, there are going to be some very significant challenges. But there are going to be a creative few people out there who, who find a new way to navigate the world. And that will eventually become the norm if it actually turns out to, to work appropriately. Thank you so much for listening today. I Look, I really appreciate everybody's support in this project, uh, not just the podcast, Creative Discourse, but also the newsletter, Creative Discourse. Um, we're trying to add more content on a regular basis. You've always got my ramblings there and, and some of my articles, and I really appreciate everybody that goes through and subscribes. Of course, we've got the free subscription um, and, and a lucky few who have decided to actually do the paid subscription and get a few extras. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the conversation. I am Michael Schaus, and this has been the Creative Discourse Podcast. Mm -hmm.